getting a little round ball action for this yeah. one. This guy's straight out of the 70s, man. Yeah, right? Yeah. Very, very creepy, in a way, appearance-wise. But you know what? Appearances can be deceiving. Welcome, everybody, to the Sports Experience Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Quinn, with my other co-host, Dominic Totola. And we're just a couple of comics who love talking sports, and we're just out here again, this time, like you said, talking basketball. Oh, yeah. Some basketball action. Uh... A guy who had an amazing college career. I mean, almost Pete Maravich levels as far as scoring, but uh, never really could get it together in the NBA like Pistol Pete. No, and this is what I feel like is a great show of college players that just don't have it in the NBA game and why the scouting is so important because you can really be a great college player and not make it in the NBA. And we're talking about Adam Morrison. Adam Morrison. The Gonzaga man. The Gonzaga man with the 12-year-old cookie duster mustache in his 20s. Yes, it was a silly one, but also really went with his style. That it, was something I was yeah. thinking about was he definitely was readily identifiable on the court. Definitely, definitely marketable. I mean, even though... You look like a 70s porn star. Yep. If you can shoot the basketball, people are going to notice who the fuck you are. Well, he had that old school basketball look, and he kind of had that old High school socks. basketball shot, if that makes sense. Because, yeah. So, yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, let's get in. Uh, born July 14th, uh, 1984. Pardon me, July. Uh, no, it's July. I got 19th. Yeah, 19th. Yeah, it's sorry. July 19th, 1984 in Glendive, Montana. Yep. His uh, dad was a basketball coach, which makes a lot of sense. Yes. And we see him moving around a lot, but it, almost like military style. Yeah. I mean, the particularly at the lower divisions in college, there's a lot of turnover as far as jobs. And, you know, you're chasing your dream. You're going to go anywhere to maybe take you to the next level. Because I saw Casper College in Wyoming, Dakota yep. Wesleyan in South Dakota, Dawson Community College in Montana, where Glendive is. And uh, by the time he's about 10, 11 years old, his dad's done coaching. And they're settling down there in the Pacific Northwest. Well, I find it interesting because I bet early in his life, he didn't have a lot of close friends. But I bet basketball was always there for him. And it was something that he could just constantly go back to. Oh, yeah. No, I mean... All he needs is a hoop and a ball. Yep. I mean, granted, it'd be nice to play against other people. Oh, but, I bet. you know, if you're past the time, yeah. just past the time. And so, so we get to him about 14 because mm -hmm. this is where his life kind of takes a turn. He's at a basketball camp. I mean, that, this is the, something that's so obvious that his dad is pushing him into basketball and just being... Well, he settled in Spokane and he was Gonzaga's ball boy. Yep. And Gonzaga's in Spokane, so... Yep. Yeah. So at 14, at a basketball camp for uh, at Gonzaga, um, he said he was just like ridiculously sick and couldn't really figure it out and was like weirdly sick. And when he got home, they went in to the doctor and the doctor found out that he had type 1 diabetes. Which is like fucked up yeah. for to be 14 years old and have that happen. Um, it said he had uh, lost 30 pounds during that camp. Yep. And he said, I think I made one shot the whole three days. I was sicker than a dog. I didn't want to play. I couldn't do anything. Which, 
a lot of people, I feel like this moment, especially when you're 14, 15, this moment happens in your life and you're like, all right, I guess I won't be playing basketball seriously anymore. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's I mean, a, like, it has to cross your mind, even yes. though you're an adolescent. But yep. yeah, um, what uh, one cool story I found out is a nurse was giving him insulin one day and he's like, hey, show me how to do it because I'm going to be doing this the rest of my life. Yeah. Which I think his attitude and mindset for this was perfectly suited to you know leveling up in basketball and just leveling up in life in general because hey he, he recognizes what he has isn't good i mean type 1 diabetes is fucking horrible yep but you know to be like okay well how do i manage this so i can try and achieve a dream i thought it was interesting too he talked about especially when he was first diagnosed there was kind of like this attitude that it hinders your ability to play sports and he said always that if you have your type 1 diabetes under control it doesn't hinder yes you have your insulin and necessary yep. stuff to get your blood sugar and you're correct. not you know because you really have to be like it really has to be regimental for you to for it to not mess with you especially when you're exerting this much energy and that's what he said he was just like i had to be on top of my diabetes all the time and he really ended up having a great high school career yeah, I mean, he should have been the poster child instead of Wilford Brimley and saying, it's diabetes, not diabetes. Diabetes. <laughs> well, it's just interesting because he has a good high school career, but he's one of the most under-scouted, under-appreciated like, players. I think he was, and you can check this, I think he was not... At, in the top hundred. Yeah. He was the number 26 small forward, The 26 small forward. And this is so obvious because he ends up being the best small forward in, in college. And one of the guys who was doing the scouting said it was our biggest oversight. I don't know if you got that. Oh yeah, I did. Um, yeah. The goal is to not never to make a mistake of that magnitude again. Uh, Dave Tellup. Yeah. Of scout.com of scout.com. Cause and, he, he went to meet senior high school in Spokane. Yep. And, Spokane's not like a big type of city. I mean, it's growing, but it's not like Seattle on the other end of the state. And he just dominates his senior year. The last game they lost was the championship game yep. where he scored 37 and was having seizures in the locker room on the verge of seizures and taking his insulin. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's a gamer if you've ever heard one. Well, and I just find it interesting because he's so such a unique player that when you look at him almost on film you're like yeah this guy shouldn't be good i feel like that's what people were seeing coming out of high school yeah and gonzaga because he was an in-state guy were, were able to see him more than a lot of other people were like no this guy is a gamer so like starting in the late 90s gonzaga f started putting it all together yep. as far as building a program and what they were able to do was get a lot of of these guys out west who weren't recruited by Pac-12 schools who or Pac-10, whatever the fuck they wanted to call them then. But um, they weren't heavily recruited. They didn't have many options. And Gonzaga's like, oh, no, you can come play for us. And what you see now is them making the NCAA final and being ranked in the top 10 every year based on how they built this program. Yes. And this is like a very good example of how they did it. And he goes to Gonzaga, and while he's not starting right away, he's playing right away. And playing in a way that you can tell he's going to be great. 
That was something that I saw with they were talking about his freshman year because he averages like 11 points or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 11.4. Uh, and they were like, yeah, that's off the bench. So they, they were like. He's playing 20 minutes a game and yes. he's averaging 11 points. It's pretty goddamn impressive. So they were like ready that next season to start running the offense through him. That's what everybody was saying at Gonzaga was like, okay, this is going to be our scorer, hopefully for the next three years, however long he stays. And it's. Because I just I'm fascinated with the type of player he is. Yeah, I mean he's six eight, about two hundred pounds. Yep. Not like necessarily like a bulky dude. Not overly athletic or not, anything. He doesn't have any great quickness, any no. great lateral quickness. But he has a great step back shot, and he has he can shoot. <laughs> he has this ability to create, which I feel like a lot of people kind of poo poo at. Yeah, no, I mean, I like he's that. able to get the ball in the basket. Yes. And he, his basketball IQ makes up for a lot of, I won't even call it physical limitations because yeah. he's a D1 athlete, but oh, yeah. a lot of the, um, you know, advantages other opponents have. Yeah. So he's able to parlay this into an amazing sophomore season. He's averaging 19 a game, um, 5.5 uh, rebounds, and uh, – West Coast Conference regular season title. The team wins, uh, or he's all West Coast Conference first team. I mean, he's kicking ass. Yes. Basketball Times named him to the all West Coast team, which includes Pac-10 Mountain West players too. So, well, we see him be the star that everybody's hoping. You oh know, yeah. From that freshman year into the sophomore year, the excitement level at Gonzaga is big because, like you were saying, they're not a program that's known for winning. And now they come in and they start having a real team. And he's not cutting his hair. He looks like fucking Shaggy from Scooby-Doo with a bad mustache. (laughs) But Gonzaga keeps winning. They keep kicking ass. And, you know, the program keeps improving. And uh, his junior year is where it all comes together. Yes. This is one of the best. What you were saying earlier, it's like a Pistol Pete style of scoring where they just throw the ball. They run the ball through him. The offense is run through him. And he is has enough skill to where he can really score a like to think about this because outside of pistol pete not many people are averaging over 20 points a game he almost averages 30 points on the season yeah which is absolutely insane um he really takes the um nation by storm right right off the the gate right out right out in maui 25 against maryland 43 in a triple overtime win versus Michigan State. I want to say Tom Izzo said that that was the head coach of Michigan State. He was just like, that was one of the best basketball games. And they, we came to the point where it was just like, all right, we're not stopping Morrison. Hopefully he'll dish the ball and we can stop that person. <laughs> Hopefully one of his teammates fucks something. Yes. Up because he's not doing it. And they didn't. And then he had uh, dropped another 43 again against uh, Washington, who was really good that year in yeah. 2005. He had 13 30-point games. That's like half That's, the season you're averaging 30, which is utterly insane. He had five over 40. Yeah, and he was shooting 43% from three, so you're just like, this guy can score from anywhere and create. Uh, it was interesting when he first came to Gonzaga, they kind of have like a little pickup games for the guys going, and what was said about him right away was – nobody's going to be able to guard him. He's like a mismatch in a, in the weirdest ways. Yeah, because 
he know he doesn't have the luxury of the freakish athletic ability so he relies on basically his guile and basketball IQ to create shots and a lot of guys defending him don't know what that is yeah so he did an incredible job and Gonzaga I believe that year was like a two seed in the tournament I mean they were this they were like two or the, three yeah this was like the first year where they finally got that recognition like okay you're a nation power yeah and they roll into the sweet 16 you're thinking like oh, this could finally be their final four that they've never had before up to yep. that point. And uh, everything falls apart against UCLA. One of the worst, and I think it's like a 12-second stretch. It is. Three turnovers. Yeah, yeah. it's one of the worst, and it, it's so it's like heartbreaking for that team because literally they're just like, all right, inbound the ball, hold the ball, and it was literally like they were – <laughs> it was like they buttered up a watermelon and I know, threw it right? in. And they were just like, oh, no. Oh. <laughs> the egg toss or whatever. Yeah, yeah it was just like. It, it, I've just felt so bad for Gonzaga. And, I mean, give it up to UCLA, who was just like, this game isn't over. 17 points down in the second half. That's, that's 17 like, down. Oh, man. I mean, Falcons fans probably know how that feels. But, like, basically, they handed the game to UCLA, who ended up winning, and then Morrison with the classic shot, not basketball, but photography shot. Yep. He, after the game, probably knew he was leaving. I mean, you average that many a game in college. Jesus Christ. You'll probably be a lottery pick. Uh, he just broke down, like collapsed. And started crying on the yeah. on the court. And he got, he got both sides of it. So some people were like, yeah, that's what happens when you lose and you know you're not going to come back. And and then other people were like, yeah, you got to save that for the locker room, yeah. kid. Which, <laughs> Hey, pussy. Yeah. No, but like, it's like that scene in Dumb and Dumber where Lloyd's like falling to the ground. He's like, I got robbed by a sweet old lady on a motorized cart. Didn't even see, see it, it coming. coming. But he said, I thought it was interesting. You said, if that's the most embarrassing moment in my career, I can live with that. Because he felt like it wasn't. It was. It did mean that much to him. Yeah, the so, guy wanted to win. It's yeah. not like he ran into the stands like Ron Artest and started <laughs> fighting UCLA fans. I mean, I can understand it. I mean, granted, most people would have gone into the locker room and just like that's where had their that breakdown. happens. Yeah. yeah, but still, like, if who cares? No, Dude, yeah, lost a Sweet Sixteen in a game you rightfully should have won. Yeah, the way it was lost, it was it, like, oh wow. Yeah, like if they probably had the brakes beat off him or something, he probably wouldn't have reacted no, like that. No, not at all. And it was something that he said was one of his biggest regrets was not making a Final Four, which he felt like they were destined to. They rightfully should have that year, but you know that's why they play the games. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, that's why. That's why we love it. But uh, 2006 West Coast Conference Player of the Year, uh, Oscar Robertson Trophy, uh, which he shared with uh, a fellow Caucasian, JJ Redick at Duke. Um, uh, Forego to senior season, obviously. I mean, yeah, he's an all-American. Like at that point, the money's there, and the guaranteed money's there in the lottery. Yep. And. He has the luxury of it also being a very weak NBA draft as far as talent pool. This has to be one of the weakest. When yeah. I was going through it, because I was like, who was even drafted in 2006? Like, when I was going through it, it was just like, oh, geez. So I was thinking about this. If he came out in 2005 or if he came out in 2007, he might not have broken the top 10, even with this scoring. <laughs> Hey, everybody. Just want to take a quick break to uh, let you know that our Sports Experience podcast is brought to you by Engel Studio here, and uh, they're here in Tucson for all your recording needs. Yeah, no, he probably in those years would have likely 
gone at the end of the lottery or just outside. Like he still would have been a first round pick. Yes. It oh, hundred percent. He would not be drafted as high as he was in the year that he came out, which is almost the same for everybody that went in that top. You know, I think it was like the Marcus Aldridge went before him. It's like, and he had a, yeah. he had a, he had a good he had a career. Good, that yeah. was like the that only was guy. Yeah. yeah. I think Rondo went like 25 and like, that's it for that draft. It was not covered was which, pretty bare, which helped this hype around him. He was basically looked at because of his size, because of the small forward position, because of his shooting ability and his basketball IQ. There were people, I will not name them, uh, who thought he'd be the next Larry Bird. This starts getting dropped a lot in this yeah. his final season and this buildup where this hype train starts going and nobody's slowing it down. Yeah, because they're like, this is a weak draft. This guy's dropping in 30 a game. He's white, obviously. I think that played a large factor into the Larry Bird comparison. Of course. But uh, yeah, and no disrespect to him. You go where you go. And he was selected third overall by the Bobcats, the first pick where uh, Michael Jordan was in charge. Which I feel like was an unfortunate destination because they were not an established franchise. So they weren't. No. I just feel like they weren't ready for a player like him. No, they, they're basically starting from scratch, I think, two years before. Yep. And you have this guy who spent his entire life in Montana, Washington area. And you're flying him all the way across the country. No idea what's going on. And you're landing on a shitty team. And they talked about that a lot. I had read he just couldn't take the losing. It, so, it, it weighed on him so much because at Gonzaga, they barely lost. I heard about this, and I heard some conflicting stories where he kind of was talking shit about not the team losing and not caring enough almost. Yeah. And I heard a quote from Jared Dudley, okay. and he said, we never connected with him because he was the type of guy that wouldn't take a shower. So he stunk. Yeah. And he was like... He was an eccentric dude. He had like chewing tobacco, and he would like spit it everywhere. Yeah. And he was like, dude, he had like three polos, and they all stunk in the locker room. <laughs> and we were like, dude, you got to take a fucking shower. And he was like... So right away, everybody was like, I don't even want to play with this guy because it's this interesting thing where you're on the sports team and you're like, the other team's like, what's up with your fucking guy over there, yeah, man? Right. Like, he smells. What is happening it's here? It's like, don't worry, we're Febrezing him tonight. Yeah, Everything will well, be okay. Th I want to say this. Jared Wallace actually had, and this is what um, um, Dudley said. He was just like, Jared Wallace actually had to force him to take a shower. This is a grown man. Oh, and my he was God. like, no, you're not coming to practice you know, smelling like this. when a five-year-old's like, I don't want to do bath night. You're like, okay, it's because you're five. You're still going to take one. But like an adult man going, I don't need to shower and you have access to a shower. That is some. And that's where, shit. that's where he said the disconnect in the team was not the losing, not the, that kind of shit. It was more like he thought he was. It's socially. He is so eccentric. That yeah. was a great way of putting it because it's such a weird thing. It's it's socially acceptable, in my opinion, to dislike someone if they smell and choose to smell that way. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you're out there busting your ass all the Sweating. time. And then you're like, I don't want to fucking guard Morrison again. You know, that's hilarious, though. I was just thinking about it. 
most of the time in prison, there's a lot of forceful action going on in the shower, Uh but not getting someone to take a shower. (laughs) That's a whole new level. (laughs) I know. That's just like, yo, man, you stink. I ain't going to fuck you, but you know. (laughs) But he actually does have an okay first season. His rookie year was decent. And people say that his numbers are very much like other guys, other great ball players who have a rookie season. They're getting used to the league. They're, he fucking averages 11.9 points a game. Yeah. But he loses his job. Well, right away, and this is what I wanted to talk to you about, was they said his lateral quickness wasn't there, and in defense, he was like a problem. And he, see, that's where the rub is for him is – if you can't play two-way basketball, you're not going to be able to start. And losing your job, you know, into your rookie season, only started 23 games. Yep. Drafting a guy third overall. Granted, every basketball team, every NBA team every, that's great needs a microwave guy who's the sixth man. You can just put him in, and he's good for 10 to 12 points a game. Yep. He'll, he'll just get hot at the right time when you put him in, and that's all he's there to do is score. But picking a guy third overall and trying to make him your franchise player and he can't play any defense or he struggles to play defense, that is a huge red flag. It's such a – and we're going to go back to it. The draft was so bad that players with holes like this went in the top five. Oh, easily. And and that's what was so shitty for Charlotte at this point because the the thought was that he was going to become this – 25 points a guy night and it's just like no you just can't have him on the court same white trash mustache as larry bird but he just couldn't do it no and that i think that's what led a lot of because i mean of his detractors to come out of the woodwork and be like see we kept telling you this he played at a small school and dominated but never broke through in the tournament all this other stuff for holes in his game and it's it's just a fucking uh coming together of the worst types of things is like well his game was looked at incorrectly it was that's the thing is like you were saying he would have been one of the best six men or even just like a rotating five you know what i mean like it if he just shouldn't have been the focal point if he's drafted at 23 or 33 and this is what it is everyone's like oh that is totally great yep that's awesome exactly but when you're drafted third overall it's like oh jesus christ what do we do and he had all this hype coming from this year in college so it was thought that he was going to and it sucks for these guys so much when they get compared to guys because they're they're not out there self-aggrandizing for the most part exactly I mean, some guys do obviously but it's so small in comparison yes and uh he has an unfortunate thing happen to him the following season yep um he missed the entire 2007 2008 year with a knee injury he suffered october 21st 2007 in the preseason yeah he tears his acl against the lakers not even just the lakers Luke walton yeah yeah old, old wildcat right um, and I, it's one of these quotes that you hear, and they said he was struggling with defense before he had this injury. That sapped him of everything, probably. And, like they were just like, yeah, there's no way that he's going to be able to play defense in the NBA. No, and like I, that's that was what it was like, kind of known with this injury because the Bobcats essentially just release him. Yeah, and the the saddest part is though is when he gets to or the he NBA. Gets treated, but yeah, but yeah, but what ends up happening is. His shooting percentage from college, where he's 
40% from three, 50% from the field. It's dropping into the high mid-30s. And for your small forward, who's allegedly this scoring machine, you can't have it. You just can't have it. And, yeah. No, that's interesting because a lot of shit is talked about his defense, but he really needed to have a better shooting percentage. And I feel like they're going to say it like eight more times on this podcast, the hype train destroyed him because he could have developed that. Yeah. That's the thing I really feel bad about Adam is not necessarily bad because he still has a good life going, but that I feel like if it was a different draft, the the development in his game, he just would have been given time. Drafted by another team or something. You know, it's it's all circumstance. Oh, it's so crazy how that works out. Granted, there are transcendent people who will dominate yes. wherever they go. And don't get me wrong, they exist, but they're so few and far between in comparison to like somebody who goes somewhere where they're believed in and used properly yes. as far as their skill sets. Yes. And he has a down year in 08, 09, because he was never the same after that. Plays in only 49 games, less than five points a game, and 36% from the field. You just can't have it, man. No. You just can't. And... Charlotte, by this point, is ready to get rid of him. Well, they need to because it's obvious that he's not going to improve. That's the other thing that I feel like with some of these guys coming out of the college is their ceiling is pretty much hit. So they're not improving like you want. Mm -hmm. So we see him get this injury, and Charlotte is pretty desperate just to offload him, and they end up trading him to L.A. Mm -hmm. Those Lakers, not those Clippers. Yeah, those Lakers. and uh, Which is interesting because he ends up winning a title. Two. Two titles. Yeah. Oh shit. Was he on there for 2 years? Yeah, um only I, one of the postseasons he played in, but yeah, oh, he was okay. on the team okay. for both years. Wow. They, yeah. What a, what an interesting years. you know what I mean? Like it's so weird because there was talk about him in 2006 that he could take a franchise to this next level. And now he's the last guy off the bench. And it's two th- yeah, yeah, it's, it's 2008, Yeah, or whatever, 9-10. And they're just like, yeah, you're not even going to play in these playoffs. You're going to wear that sweatsuit like a champion and smell at the end of the bench with some social distancing involved. Kobe needs Gatorade. Stat. Yeah, right? What's up, Kobe? No, uh, but like we were talking about before, he's a very eccentric guy. Yes. Apparently, yes. he got along well with Ron Artest. Yeah. Which I, is... I read that, and it, I was just like, those guys should have been on a team. Oh, they they should have been on any team. Not yeah. even a basketball no. team. Like, a competitive bowling team. Just nothing with sharp objects for Ron. But, uh, yeah. Um, by that point, though, after uh, the 2010 postseason, um, he tries to... St- uh, sign on with the Wizards, cut after the preseason. Yeah. And then he begins his little European magical mystery tour. Yeah, which I feel like they kind of do if you're any kind of a name in the past decade. They're like, well, come out for 20 games or whatever yeah. it is. You know what I mean? We will provide you with vodka and horrors. Yes. <laughs> but exactly. Yeah. He, uh, in 20, uh, he goes to Serbia and plays for a while, goes to Turkey, plays for a while about a year apiece, and uh, 2012, he played in the summer league for the Nets and, uh, what was it, uh, uh, Clippers. Yeah. He tries to catch on with them. Yeah, he was really trying to make another NBA team one last time, and it just didn't. No, it never panned out for him, which is pretty unfortunate considering, like, man, what could have been. Yep. Because not necessarily – 
him not translating the NBA is one thing, but just like all the shit that happens to him is like, man, it's it's not your fault. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a sad story. That's the thing about these guys is so much is left up to chance. Oh like, yeah, they put in so much work and so much is left up to chance. Michael Jordan is as good as running ba- basketball teams, not as a player, but running them as he is as a competitive golfer and a baseball player. Not good. Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting. It is. It's, it's insane. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, he uh, goes back to Gonzaga, uh, summer 2003, student assistant. Uh, got, it, got his degree, 2014. Yep. Can't, uh, can't knock that in sports management. And then uh, assistant video coordinator, 2014, 2015. And then uh, just disappeared for a little bit, kind of. Well, he also was doing some radio stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. But then... Yeah, he kind of went off the grid, and, and I, I had to deep dive this one because I found it so interesting. So um, on a podcast, there was a Gonzaga senior yeah, who stated that Adam, because they were like, well, where is Adam? We haven't seen him in a while, you know, because they were just kind of chatting like you, like you do on a podcast. Yeah. Um, and he was like, oh, man, I don't know. I think he's held up in his that bunker he has in his house with all those guns. <laughs> and he was, like, joking. And Adam heard it and was like, well, first off, that guy's never been to my house. Yeah. I don't have a bunker, and I don't have a bunch of guns. No. Um, he has firearms, though. Yes. A number of them. That, yeah. that was the thing that he said. He was just like, it just sounded like I was... This long-haired weirdo, yes. like basically Ted Kaczynskiing it, and he's living at the pictures I saw. It's a nice estate, yes, near Spokane, and that's what I mean. He's just like, I don't want to live. I want to live out in the middle of nowhere, kind of thing, which a lot of us actually really do want to, yeah, have that. But he he was so hurt by these comments that he actually thought about taking legal action. Because of the way that yeah, because it was out. so hyperbolic. Yes, and I mean, people can get a negative image of you. Here comes ATF knocking at your door, and the reason he owned so many guns is because he lived kind of out. on the outskirts. Yep, I think there was a break in at his house or something. He's like, it took the cops thirty five minutes to get here. Like, I'm not going through that again. So if I'm going to live out here, I'm going to protect myself. But that, that was the thing. I remember this. People were jumping on that article like, whoa, he's crazy, everybody. And that's the worst thing about media. It's just oh, like, I know. They just do your research. <laughs> but the cool thing what the cool thing is, though, is he lives a comfortable life. It's not like he went broke or anything. I mean, he made plenty of money playing in the NBA and is living his best life with his lady and his kids. That's right something now. that I found to be interesting because I saw somebody say, do we think that his career was a failure and somebody was just like no are you kidding like he literally can do anything with the rest of his life i think he has three kids yeah and uh a longtime girlfriend because i think it re- i read that it he doesn't believe in marriage yeah, he doesn't believe in marriage. good on you i was gonna say that's, all, I, uh, all i can think of is the stanhope bit where he's like baby we got a great thing going let's get the government involved <laughs> so funny but that's i mean it's perfect for him and He'll forever be on that Gonzaga, you know, Mount Rushmore. Yeah, it's almost like guys who dominate in college who just don't aren't able to do anything in the pros, like uh, Tommy Frazier, like we did on the Nebraska one. Yes. He's a college football legend, but I don't even think he played a, down a professional football. So, 
Yeah, Adam Morrison, everybody. Hey, everybody. This is just a stock message at the end of every episode. We hope you enjoyed whatever athlete and or team that that episode was about. Just want to say give us a quick follow on all social media. We have a YouTube channel, the Sports Experience Podcast, and we're on Instagram, Totolo Dominic and myself, C. Quinn Comedy. So give us a follow all around. Um, we're always recording right here at Angle Studio. Thank you all very much. <laughs>